Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So today is all about why you need to cut your losses and be ruthless. Uh, So I'm going to be trying to break down different points. I don't know how many I've got. I literally don't know because I've I've got them written down here, but I can already start thinking of more that are coming to mind. So I'm just going to keep adding as I go because I do love to kind of improvise as I go. That's kind of... This is how I structure my podcast. I literally will write down, do a brainstorm and I've got like just key points that I want to say and then I'm looking at the screen in front of me and I've got the key points there and I'll just start with a point and and expand on it. I try not to script it because I feel that when I'm passionately focusing on a concept – then I'm able to add to it as I go. So that's why I feel like I might be saying more than like the six that I've got here or seven, whatever. All right, I am going to do a brain fact and then at the end of the episode I do have a uh, listener question which I'm going to answer. Guys, also please, um, as this is the early stages of the podcast being back up, um, I would love it so much if you could continue to give me beautiful reviews um, and rate them and rate the podcast and also share the podcast. That really helps the success of the podcast. It helps grow it. It helps keep the podcast high up on the charts and visible to other people. So I really, really, really appreciate all the work that you guys have been doing. The activity on the Facebook group is unbelievable. The amount of people that have just, without even me asking, have literally done a post saying, hey guys, let's, let's you know, rate, review and share for Alexis. Like, honestly, you are like my little community, big community of beans and I'm so grateful to have you supporting me. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for doing that. Keep it up. You guys are absolutely unbelievable. There's no personal life update today. We're going to go straight into the brain fact. This one goes a little bit longer than normal. So if you're not interested in the brain fact, fast forward to around the 16 minute mark and you'll be able to get straight into the topic of today's episode. So the brain fact of today is fetal alcohol syndrome. I actually have a feeling that I have covered this before, but I was trolling high and low through my back catalogue of my podcast, couldn't for the life of me find it, and there's just so much content that I've put out hours and hours and hours, so it wouldn't hurt to cover this topic again if I have already covered it. Fetal alcohol syndrome, what is it? So it is an intellectual disability with physical traits Um, sometimes those physical traits appear, I'm going to go over what those physical traits look like. Sometimes it's a combination of all three. Sometimes it's just one, but it is a, it's, it's one of the most common preventable causes of intellectual disability and preventable because it is due to the consumption of alcohol while the baby is in the womb, while the baby is, while it's a fetus and this consumption of alcohol. Now there's kind of, you know, understanding what the threshold of alcohol is and more alcohol at a certain time of the pregnancy is going to affect different parts of the brain during its developmental phase, but that is what it is. It is due to the consumption of alcohol by the mother while the baby is in the uterus at any stage of the pregnancy. So the first thing I'm going to do is break down how it happens and then I'm going to talk about the traits and characteristics of fetal alcohol syndrome. So how does it happen? So you've got the fetus inside the womb and when the mother drinks alcohol, the fetus gets the alcohol via the umbilical cord. The blood alcohol of the mother is the same as the – so the blood alcohol level carries throughout 
the fetus as well. It's not like there's this protective barrier and it doesn't affect the fetus. It is affecting the fetus. But the difference is that adults, humans, born humans who are adults, have this ability to break down alcohol and the toxins within alcohol because we have enzymes that do that in our body. In our liver, in our kidneys, we've got enzymes that break down toxins. The fetus does not have that yet, okay? So those enzymes that can break down the toxins don't exist yet in the fetus and won't exist until the, the fetus is born and older later on, okay? I'm not exactly sure the exact time, but I know it does not exist when it is a fetus. So the baby is getting these toxins and it's going directly to the baby's brain. The brain is the part of the – or fetus, I should say – the brain is the part of the fetus that's just rapidly, rapidly, rapidly growing within the womb. And alcohol, as we know, is a toxin. So this can very severely interfere with the brain development of the fetus because the neurons in a developing fetus are very, very, very sensitive and they're very easily damaged because they're very young neurons. And alcohol can destroy these neurons in a developing fetus and when neurons get destroyed, especially in the developmental stage of a fetus, they're not, they're not making more neurons after that. It's kind of like there's different stages for different developmental phases of the brain. And if you go in and kill a whole bunch of neurons, they're now not going to be replaced. Okay, so while you can do certain things within your life to create the growth of new neurons in certain parts of the brain as an adult, for example, the hippocampus, the, the thing that most of the time when we talk about neuroplasticity is you can enhance connectivity and um, connections, so synapses, connections between neurons. But it's really hard to build more neurons possible in some areas of the brain, and that's only recently been discovered. But in general, really difficult. So if you're a fetus and these neurons are being damaged, you're overall going to be born with less neurons, okay? So as you can understand, if you've got less neurons, you've got less connectivity between brain regions. Uh, and there's some parts of the brain that are just not going to develop to the extent that they need to be developed. And this, there's a lot of you know, studies that are done on fetal alcohol syndrome. And it looks like depending at what time of the pregnancy the alcohol was being consumed may affect what parts of the brain are underdeveloped because it could be due to the fact that while a part of the brain is growing during that, during that term of pregnancy – and when, when the alcohol is being consumed, it's affecting that part that was growing. So that's a possibility. That's one of the things that, you know, the studies are looking into. So when there's excessive consumption of alcohol, you're getting toxins to the, the fetus brain and it is damaging neurons. And because the neurons are damaged, they're not able to connect to other neurons because they're not there or a lot of them are not. They've been killed. There's lower levels of connectivity and the brain just cannot develop like a standard fetus brain would develop. And when you compare the brains of a, so if you look at the brains, let's say of a six week old child with fetal alcohol syndrome, a significant, you know, significant 
amount of damage with within a child with fetal alcohol syndrome because the damage can vary, the amount of damage can vary, versus a child that does not have fetal alcohol syndrome, the brains look vastly different. Number one, the brain of the child with fetal alcohol syndrome is significantly smaller. And number two, the brain of the child with fetal alcohol syndrome does not present with uh, gyre and sulky. So when you look at a brain, it's got all these like grooves in it which is the sulky and the lumps, which is the gyre. And the reason for that, the reason for all these grooves and lumps is because the brain is growing so fast that, and and there's so much cortex, which is the outer few millimeters of your brain, that it actually, if it was smooth, it would not fit inside the skull. So it needs to crease and, and, and fold into these crevices. So there's enough cortex area, but it's folded in a way that it actually fits inside the skull. If it was all smooth, we would have way less cortex to be able to work with and that's kind of the higher processing power of our brain. When you look at a child, uh, like a baby with fetal alcohol syndrome, because the brain is a lot smaller, it hasn't needed to fold into this gyre and sulky as much so the brain looks a lot smoother. And this smoothness is called lysencephaly. So it's like a smooth – cephaly is head, brain, and it's like this the smoothness. There's no lumps or sulky gyre. So let's talk about some of the features of fetal alcohol syndrome. <clears throat> I'll, t- I'll talk about the physical characteristics in a second, but I'm going to talk about the features. There is brain damage. Certain parts of the brain have been damaged. What you might see, like it varies from case to case, but what you might see is that the corpus callosum, which is this huge bundle of fibers that connect the two brain hemispheres so the two hemispheres can communicate with each other, you could see that the corpus callosum might be partially not there or completely gone, which means that there's little to no communication between hemispheres. That's one of the things that may happen, not in every case. Um, Or something called a genesis, which it's something not forming properly. So that corpus callosum has partially formed. There's partial fibers crossing, partially not. Um, And then it that's where you're getting the lack of communication between brain regions and that's what's going to affect learning to some degree. There will be seizures because of this, you know, lack of proper communication between brain regions, damage to the cerebellum, which is that part of the brain which kind of sits at the base of your skull, at the top of your neck, base of your skull. So if your cerebellum is damaged, that's going to affect your motor skills, your balance, your coordination. Um, your frontal cortex can be damaged. There could be It could be smaller or likely will be smaller. Hippocampus is affected, which then affects your memory and your learning. And there's all these different areas in the brain that can be implicated. But like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean that all areas will be implicated. Um, A child might be born with some areas relatively intact and other areas more affected. So you can get some of what I mentioned or all of the above. Now, the physical characteristics, and you can be born with one, two, or three of these physical characteristics if, if, if it's a child with fetal alcohol syndrome, is... Well, there's actually three facial physical characteristics and then the other one is your height. The height and weight of a child with fetal alcohol syndrome are in or below the 10th percentile of overall height and weight. That means that 90% of children in your age as you go up through the years, you know, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, 90% of children are going to be heavier and taller than children with fetal alcohol syndrome. So in the 10th percentile. Then there's also something called 
craniofacial abnormalities. So one of them is a smooth philtrum and that's the – so if you look from your lip, the top of your lip to the base of your nose, you've got these two ridges. That's um, – that in a lot of children with fetal alcohol syndrome is just completely smooth. Those two ridges don't exist. Then you've got a th- something called thin vermilion, which is the upper lip is very, very thin. And then the last one is short palpebral. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. And that's the length from the inside of your eye to the outside of your eye, so long ways of your eye, is actually shorter, which also makes it look like your eyes, it gives the impression that your eyes look like they're set wider apart, but it's more so that the actual distance from the edge of your, the inside of your eye to the outside of your eye, like eyelids, eyeball, is shorter. Now, like I said, this the uh, child with fetal alcohol syndrome could present with one, two, or three of those features. It doesn't have to be all of them to be diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. So it could be a combination of everything that I mentioned, different varying kinds of combinations to different degrees. And but what they have found is that the more alcohol exposure that the fetus, the more the fetus was exposed to alcohol during the term of pregnancy, the more exaggerated these features are. Now, if a child is diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, it is for the rest of their life. It cannot be fixed, but there are ways to help manage it. So you could get the child on a good management plan to help tailor learning that works for them. Um, you know, the, the, a mainstream model may not work, but then you might find that another model works really well and the child really, you know, blossoms in that way. There's a few interventions that, that can be done behaviorally um, to really help the child. Now, you might have heard that a lot of people, so if, you're, if you've heard people talk about this in pregnancy, if you yourself have spoken about this in pregnancy, where a lot of people are reaching the end of the pregnancy and they feel that, oh, you know, the baby's fully formed, I can have a couple of drinks now, it's all good. It's actually not because all, all phases of the pregnancy are different developmental stages of the brain. The brain of a child, especially a newborn baby, is no way near, no way near developed. You can't even, obviously, because clearly the baby's born and it is the most fucking dependent creature out of every mammal you can think of. So there's a lot of developing that needs to occur well into adult life. So when someone says, oh, I can drink now at the end of the pregnancy, it's fine. It's absolutely not fine. There's still a lot of growth that has to occur. The, the, the third trimester is where all the gyri and sulky are forming. The brain's growing. It's trying to fit as much cortex into the brain surface area as possible. So absolutely not, not a good reason to be drinking alcohol. There's really no reason to be drinking alcohol throughout your pregnancy. Obviously, if you didn't know you were pregnant, there's nothing you can do about it. But once you do know that you're pregnant, there's just no good enough reason, in my opinion, that one should drink when they're pregnant because there might not be data to support or enough data to support that, you know, one glass isn't harmful or is harmful. There might not be that data, but I just don't see the point knowing that the fetus does not have enzymes that can break down alcohol and break down the toxins. I just wouldn't see the point in doing it. Like for what? really. Anyway, that's the brain fact for today. Fetal alcohol syndrome. This was actually a listener request. I put up a question box uh, for people to write in what brain facts they would want to hear. And so many came through and this was one of them. So thank you so much for that suggestion. Now let's get right into the topic of today. Right. So the topic of today, why you need to cut your losses and be ruthless. I'm going to be going through points 
breaking down the points. Some are going to be things that you need to think about. Some are going to be things that you need to do or some are just going to be overall concepts to wrap your head around. All right, let's do it. Number one, understand that the quality of your life is going to be determined by the quality of your relationships. And the reason behind this is because what you put up with is going to determine how you also are going to be willing to put up with how you treat yourself. There's a minimum standard for how you will be how you're willing to treat yourself. And that standard should start with you. But a lot of the time it's kind of flipped. A lot of the time we base how we treat ourselves based around how people have been treating us. So for many people, it actually is this reverse thing that you have to reverse engineer it and think, wait a minute, I feel really low in myself because I'm in relationships where I'm treated like absolute shit. So I now need to remove myself from those relationships or change those relationships somehow, eliminate those relationships so I can start feeling better about myself. Okay, so some people have to do it in reverse. Some people are born and they're raised in a very loving, rich relationships, all of that environment, that for them, the minimum standard's already quite high. And then when some absolute degenerate enters their life, they think, not interested. Thank you so much for the offer. Not interested on your merry way. Okay, so that's all well and good, but that's not the case for a lot of people. So a lot of people have to do it the other way around. So understand that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. If a relationship isn't working for you and you've tried to do something about it and it's just not working for you, then you need to cut your losses and be ruthless because keeping these people in your life will affect the quality of your overall life. It's going to affect your happiness overall because staying with someone a day longer than you need to is doing you no favors and it's doing that person no favors. Same as a friendship, same as a working relationship, okay? If something isn't working for you and if something's making you feel like shit but you continue to engage in that relationship or allow the presence of it in your life, then how you treat yourself is also going to be affected by it. If you're allowing someone to walk all over you and treat you like shit again and again and again and again, then it's really hard to turn around and be super respectful and loving to yourself because it rubs off on you, okay? So you need to be ruthless. You need to be absolutely ruthless and say, is this actually working for me? And are they actually treating me in a way that I want to be treated because this is going to affect me long-term? Number two, sometimes you need to lose the battle in order to win the war. Sometimes you have to cut your losses with these small battles for long-term success. Okay. And often you're going to learn this the hard way. I have definitely, definitely learned this the hard way. I have had things that have happened to me that are unfair. We all have. This is definitely not a unique story. All of us have had something that's happened to us that is really unfair. And it goes against your morals and it feels really bad. And you feel really bad and affected. And to just put up with it feels so wrong, right? And it is wrong and it is unfair and it's fucked. But sometimes we end up trying to right that wrong or trying to change the outcome of that little thing that happened that was unfair or try to change what someone said about you or what someone did to you or the fact that they got away with something and it's, it's damaged you professionally or emotionally. But sometimes you try and fight that unfair thing so much that it ends up consuming you 
And the only reason why you're finding it so hard is because you're like, no, it's not fair. And if you, you are entitled to fight for justice at any point in your life, absolutely. But there are going to be times in your life where fighting it to prove something to yourself or to prove something to someone else ends up being so soul-destroying and it ends up affecting your actual long-term trajectory of growth. Sometimes you have to look at a situation and say, that was so fucked, that was so unfair, but I can't invest any more time in this. I'm acknowledging it, it's unfair and I'm just, going to, <laughs> I'm just going to lose the battle right here, right now. I'm not going to give it more time and energy. I'm just going to eat this cost emotionally or whatever, financially. I'm just going to have to eat it so I can move the fuck on and focus on my growth moving forward. Sometimes, sometimes fighting those little battles can be so much more taxing than just thinking like I need to learn how to take this one thing in my stride because I'm now like it's just going to affect me long term if I don't, okay? I recently experienced something like this professionally where I was in a position where I thought this is just affecting me so much now. I have to cut my losses for overall long-term gain. I was in a position where I was thinking, you know, here I am trying to fight something so hard, but what's, what's at stake if I continue to fight this? And I realized I weighed it up, and this is around my podcast, I'm not going to lie, and I weighed it up and I thought, there's so much more at stake if I use all of my energy fighting this one battle when I could just accept something that I don't love temporarily and then it's going to get better and then I can work on the thing that I do love and that's the overall longevity and success of my podcast, my career, my connection with my audience. So there are times when you think I'm done, I'm fucking done and I'm not going to fight this battle anymore, okay? You have to cut your losses for for overall gain. You have to learn to be ruthless with yourself sometimes. You've got to be like, I'm not engaging in this anymore, okay? Number three, understand that your mental health is more important than most of the drama that you are going to engage in in your life. It is insane how quickly people can get angry or affected or upset about any topic any topic. It's amazing how people can just get riled up discussing something on the internet and end up having an absolute beef with a total stranger in the comments section of someone's photo of their dog. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to think, wait a minute, am I literally going to give up my mental peace right now to, to have this battle with somebody, to have this, to engage in this drama? Every time you're about to have a discussion, have a disagreement, speak to somebody, you've got to think, is it worth my mental health? Every time you're about to engage with that group of friends that always makes you feel like shit, then you think, is it, do you know, okay, here we go. Do you know how many people write to me saying, I do not align with my friends anymore. I don't feel good when I'm around the, my friendship group. It's just always pitting people against each other, bitchiness behind people's back, fights, arguments. I feel really judged every time around my I'm around my friends. And then they follow that up with, but I don't have another friendship group, so what do I do? And it's like, this is the prime example of point number one. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. If you're engaging in a group of people that absolutely treat you like shit, 
then you're going to treat yourself like shit. And here's the prime example. If you treated yourself well, you would feel comfortable being like, I'm cutting my fucking losses. I'm going to risk having no fucking friends instead of being with people that actually pull me down. Okay, my mental health is worth more than the drama. You know, I would rather be alone and comfortable and sleep well at night and wake up feeling drama-free than engage with people who treat me like shit, who bitch about me, who pit me against my own so-called friends, but think, oh, at least I have friends. What fucking friends are they? I'm sorry, but no. So this is where you need to cut your losses. Cut your losses and be ruthless. If you are being made to feel like shit, you are better off peacefully alone. At least you've got peace of mind. At least you can relax, okay? So that's what I mean about being ruthless. The friends will come when you align with different with a different wavelength and a different mentality. You might be sitting in a situation where you're in an awful friendship group, quite fr- friends loosely, the term friends. You feel absolutely shit hanging out with them and you want to hang out with, with another group of friends who think differently, who are really empowering with each other, really engaging. Unfortunately for you, that's not going to manifest out of thin air. You have to take some action. And the first point of action is to treat yourself the way you would want a friendship group to treat you and that's to have respect. And part of that respect is removing yourself from a situation that is cruel or unhealthy for yourself. So the first thing is I need to level up to myself the way that I want to have, you know, at that level, how I treat myself is the kind of friendship level that I'm looking for. So number one, I remove myself. Number two, I then start, you know, socializing and engaging with people that I really want to hang out with. It's not going to happen the other way around. It might, but likely it won't because whether you like it or not, you are engaging in this unhealthy behavior and it's this kind of this constant loop back and forth, back and forth, whether you like it or not. You have to remove yourself. That is cutting your losses, okay? Number four, you don't owe anyone a debate or an argument. If it doesn't feel good to argue for yourself or have a debate, you don't have to do it. You can choose to just not engage instead and you should not feel guilty about it. Just because someone wants to argue, it does not mean that you have to give it to them. It is not their God-given right for you to engage in an argument that you're not interested in engaging in. Number five, stop trying to prove people wrong. You need to cut your losses on that one, big time. Some people spend so much time and energy trying to prove someone wrong when no one actually gives a fuck if you've proved them wrong or not. So here you are wasting time and energy on something that really doesn't matter. The overall goal here is to feel happy, right? Everything that you do is ultimately to feel happy. Even if it's for really what seems like really materialistic purposes, everyone just wants to be happy. If you think I need, someone told me I'd never succeed, so I'm going to, I need to drive a fucking Lamborghini so they know I've succeeded. Why do you want to drive the Lamborghini? Because you want someone to turn around and say, oh my God, they proved me wrong, they succeeded. Why do you want that person to say that? Because you want to prove something. Why do you want to prove something? Because it's going to feel good if you do. Why do you want to feel good? Because you want to be happy. Okay. Everything can get traced to being happy. You know, you can actually simplify your life a lot by cutting out all those steps in between and just going directly to the source. You don't have to prove shit to people. You don't have to prove them right or prove them wrong or make excuses or explain why something didn't work out. Just focus on your own path and focus on the feeling and not this outcome or this goal that has to be achieved. It's, it's all in the journey. Okay. Number six, 
If your partner isn't fighting for you, it is not your job to do all the heavy lifting. And it's not giving up if you walk away on them. I think a lot of people think, and a lot of partners make the other person feel that they gave up on them. And this is really toxic. A lot of people will, you know, push you right to the edge, push you right to the edge, right to the edge, and then you end up having to leave and they're like, ha, I, I would have stayed and fought for the relationship. You left. Make it known that you are the one that left the relationship. And it's like, no, can't. You mentally tapped out when you pushed me to the limit, okay? So this is a two-way street. If you are doing all the heavy lifting, then you are not giving up. That person already gave up. So don't feel that your arm is twisted to stay in a relationship because you don't want to be the one that pulled the trigger. The trigger's been pulled. If someone's not pulling their weight, that is them having already pulled the trigger. And now you're both staying in this dead, redundant, dud of an excuse of a relationship when you, could, when you could have left a long time ago. And it's really scary to think that the amount of people stay in a relationship because they don't want to be the ones that ended it. It's this huge responsibility because they think that, oh, but if I end it, then I can regret, then I can regret it. Because if someone, the one good thing about someone ending a relationship for you is you think, well, at least I didn't have control over it. It was done. It was done to me. And now I'm the victim and I had no control over the outcome. So it is what it is. I just have to accept it. Whereas if you're the one that pulls the trigger, you've got that space to think, fuck, what if I make the wrong decision? What if I never find someone like them? What if I never find anyone at all and I'm stuck alone? God forbid I have my own company to be around, you know? So you start thinking of all these fucking things and then you think, no, 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 I can't pull the trigger. Fuck that. I'll just stay in this relationship because I don't want the responsibility of having that on my head. So what a lot of people do because they feel that way, as you do, They will just keep pushing, 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 pushing. They want the other person to pull the trigger. They don't have the balls or the vagina to pull the trigger. But they they don't want to be in the relationship. And then when the other person pulls the trigger, not only did they not have to do the hard lifting of breaking up, but then they get the ammunition of getting to play the victim card, which is really empowering for a lot of people that are not happy. When you're not happy, the victim card is one of the most exciting things that can happen to you because now people can feel sorry for you. Now you can have this like pain body to work off, okay? And if you want to know more about pain body, Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about that. Check out A New Earth. Anyway, now you've got this kind of pain that you can feed off and then you can play the victim and then you can feel like, oh, woe is me. This is not in my control. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay? So if you're in a position where you are made to feel guilty for leaving a relationship, but that person's not doing any of the heavy lifting. The relationship has actually ended. You're just like kind of signing on the dotted line, but it's done. There's no guilt that needs to be felt here. Number seven, when someone questions your loyalty, ask yourself if you owe them loyalty in the first place. A lot of the time, the loyalty card gets thrown around and then you feel guilty. Guilt is such a powerful currency, such a powerful currency. And it really is a great way to manipulate somebody who's very empathetic or very sympathetic. When you use guilt and when you accuse someone of something that's going to make them then feel guilty, you can get what you want from that person almost to an extent. You know, you can get a lot out of a person. You can juice a person quite a bit by playing the guilt card, okay? But you've you've got to ask yourself This is where you have to get really cold and harsh sometimes. When someone accuses you of doing something, ask yourself, like for loyalty is a big one, especially in the workforce. 
or to a friend for some stupid reason that they're just pulling out because they're trying to make you feel bad and they're trying to get a behavior from you or a response. But you have to ask yourself, am I just doing this because I don't want this person to think poorly of me or am I doing this because I feel legitimately that it is the right thing to do? One thing that pisses me off is when people wave this loyalty card in your face so then instantly you think, oh, my God, if I don't do this action, then I am seen as being disloyal. No one wants – well, no, most people, almost no one wants to be known as someone who's not loyal. It's got this really bad, you know, vibe to it to – have people think that you're not a loyal person. And employers pull this card all the time. They pull the emotional strings of their employees by pulling the loyalty card out, being like, where's your loyalty? No one's loyal anymore. No, can't. This is a swift transaction. You are getting my time and my expertise and I'm getting cash, dollars, dollar bills. That is all, okay? If I happen to like that, if I happen to like the environment and if we happen to have a friendship, that should be independent from this exchange of skill for money. So then when someone says, where's the loyalty? Because you've been offered more money for your skill. You've now discovered that your skill set is now valued higher. And now that you know that your skill set is valued higher, why do you have to accept less? Why? And your employer doesn't have a good enough reason as to why you have to accept less. So they'll try and manipulate you emotionally by saying, where is your loyalty? Why do you have to be loyal to them? If they went through a tough patch and the business was suffering, they'd let you go. In a heartbeat, they'd let you go because they just simply can't afford it. So why do you have to let go a better position for what? To not offend someone? That's ridiculous. So you need to cut your losses and not get swept up in the, this emotional manipulation that gets played by a lot of, I'm saying employers, but friends do it all the time, family does it all the time when they try and make you feel bad for not doing this for them or not being there at a certain event and whatever, which actually leads me to my next point, number eight, which is you don't have to mirror someone's values in order to be able to respect each other. There's going to be relationships that you have in your life where your morals or your values, or both of them, don't really align that much. And as long as you are respectful to allow someone to exist in their own space doing their own thing and you feel that you are comfortable existing in your space doing your own thing, then that's fine. I think a lot of people try and – I'm going to use a really, really stupid example, but this is a really common one. So I personally – don't really give a flying fuck if someone can't make my birthday. I don't like, yeah, birthdays are fun, whatever, but I don't really value that exact date that much. To me, a friendship is based around the overall quality of the friendship over a long period of time. If someone can't make my birthday, really don't give a fuck, not the end of the world, okay? Whereas there are some people that to them, it's like, oh, but you can't, like, this is my birthday. This is my, and it's fine. Like, hey, if you want to value the birthday, love that so much for you, but don't, don't put your guilt and your obsession with birthdays on me. I, don't, I would never be upset if you didn't rock up to my birthday. If you couldn't make it, you couldn't make it, whatever. But now don't make me feel horrendous if I can't make your birthday. You know, that's like a really, really stupid example that I'm giving you, but it's a common one that's thrown around. It's this idea of people putting so much pressure on you because they're like, but I value my birthday so much and it's the biggest day of my year. And blah, blah. Well, it's not the biggest day of mine. Sorry. If I can make it, I will. If I can't, I'm not going to feel bad. Okay. You need to relax yourself. So it's this idea of you have to understand that people are going to value things differently. And just because you value something so highly, they might not. They're not trying to be insulting to you if they don't value that thing as much as you value it. 
A bigger example of this is weddings. People that think that their wedding day is as important to the guests as it is to them as an individual. That's just not realistic. Your wedding day is going to be like a blip on the radar for most people that are rock up to your wedding. Of course they care. Yeah, they're going to love it, but it's one day out of their calendar. For you, it's weeks and weeks or months and months and months of planning leading up to that wedding day. And this expectation that people will value your wedding as much as you value it is just unrealistic and ridiculous. And then you're putting all this guilt and pressure on the people around you for something that's really all about you. So I think it's really important to understand that in order to have a good relationship with someone, you've got to let go of this idea that your values have to align on everything and they have to value something as much as you value it and vice versa, because that's not the case. And the quicker you can come to realize that the the free, the more free you are going to feel, okay? They don't have to align and you can get along really well and you can be very happy. You'll be happier in your relationship with these people when you understand that. Last one for today is number... God, what number are we up to? I'm going to say number nine, I think. Um, Always remind yourself, short-term pain for long-term gain. So often you, me, we, all of us, avoid an action because we don't want to be the asshole or we don't want to be – you know, the one that's responsible or feel the responsibility of the decision or the action. But then because you avoid it, you end up suffering in a situation that makes you miserable. You end up staying in a situation where you are suffering. So don't trade avoidance of discomfort for years of suffering. It's a bad trade. For example, leaving a job. Maybe you work for someone that you get along so well with and you cannot bear to tell them that you're leaving and you can't bear to you know, bring yourself to actually walk away from this job or career so you never dare to dream and you never dare to apply for those other jobs that deep down you know you would love. So you don't do it. So you're avoiding the discomfort, the, that short-term discomfort for this long-term potential gain in your life, okay? The same goes for a relationship. It's so awful and you feel so bad ending it. But then because you don't end it because you're staying out of guilt, then you end up being in a relationship that is nowhere near as fulfilling as maybe being alone would be or being with a, being in a different relationship would be, okay? It's just not a good enough trade. So every time you come across a situation in your life where you're like, oh, I'm avoiding that, why are you avoiding that? Are you avoiding it because it's just blatantly wrong and you just absolutely don't want to do it because you don't want to and that's fine? Or are you avoiding it because the, the actual action of doing it is going to cause you short-term pain but the payoff is long-term gain, Okay. You need to look at the trade-off every time you're in the, in the position of making a, a difficult decision. You have to look at the trade-off. Is the only reason I'm not taking that leap into the, that next decision because I'm trying to avoid discomfort because that's not a good enough reason and the trade-off is never going to be worth it ever, 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 ever. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I now have the listener question. Um, and, of course, if you do want to write in, to me, it's info at dyfmpod.com. Okay, listen, a question of today. Uh, hi, first of all, really love the podcast. I feel like it's the kick that I need to get my shit together, especially the episode about making lasting change gave me a wake-up call to start prioritizing my health and making time for it. I love that so much, so thank you for, for saying that. I need your advice on something. 
I used to date a co-worker and complicated my relationship with other co-workers. In the summer of 2021, I dated a co-worker. It was super fun while it lasted, but after about two months, he grew cold, ended up making out with somebody else at a party, decided he, quote, wanted to be alone, and he broke up with me. From here, I entered a year of very conflicting feelings. At first, I felt sorry for him because he was in a very because he was very stressed and gave that as a reason for calling things off. But from there, I've gradually grown more and more angry for how he treated me. I've never been cheated on, and the way he ended things made me feel incredibly unlovable. About half a year or so later, I also found out that he started dating a girl that he cheated on me with pretty shortly afterwards. So under normal circumstances, I would do everything I can to avoid him. However, we work for a pretty small company and have the same friend circle there. I've been doing pretty good at avoiding him despite all of this, but I sometimes find myself avoiding social situations so I don't have to deal with him. Every time I see his bike at the office parking lot, I think about slashing his tires Lol. And seeing him makes me a weird combination of sad, angry and weird kind of happy because it feels like scratching open an old wound. So the question is, how do I mend this into something healthy that doesn't affect my life at work and relationships with other work friends without minimizing the pain he put me through? I really like my work friends and hanging out with them a lot and I don't want to have this dark cloud glooming over it. I like my job and I love my work and the people. So leaving is not an option. Okay, so this is obviously quite complicated. The first thing that I would recommend that you do is that you mentioned at one point um, without minimizing the pain he put me through. Why don't you want to minimize the pain? Isn't that the point to minimize the pain? You don't have to – the main thing that you want to think about is – If I try and turn this into something where I'm reliving the pain that I went through and reminding myself of what he went through and trying to punish him for what he put me through, then the person that suffers is you. You are the one that suffers. Now, what what you need to make clear is that does not mean that you now have to be his friend, treat him with the same level of respect that you would an actual friend. You don't have to give him nowhere near as much attention or level of care that you would any other co-worker. But your aim, well, I recommend that your aim should be indifference towards this man, okay? Indifference. Because if you're thinking, I've never been cheated on, this is what is done to me, 100%. He's a fuckwit, obviously. The guy's a cunt. But it is your responsibility to heal. Because if you don't heal, No one is going to do it for you. So as much as it sucks, as much as it's you're not the one to blame for what went down, you are responsible for what happens from here onwards. And you now have a choice. It's like sliding doors. Do I decide to really put this fucking thing to bed, acknowledge the kind of person that he is? It's a fact. I'm not going to delve into it. I know the kind of person he is and due to that, I can set some boundaries, but I can really start to have some fun. I can really enjoy myself. I'm not going to be bitter. It is what it is. Thank you for the lessons. Thank you for the good times. Next, thank you very much. Or I can go down the other path of being bitter every time I enter work and having this like bittersweet interaction with people every single day, which is like brewing these, whether it feels like it or not, it it is brewing stress underneath the surface of like this kind of angst towards someone, but then it is fun, but it's not, and then you want, and and it's like you're very conflicted all day long. And this is going to continue to happen and it's not going to wear off unless you actively put in some thoughts to 
aid it in it wearing off these feelings. There are people that can fester about something that occurred 10 years ago. So I can guarantee you right now, you need to take action on how you're feeling about this or this is going to continue. You'll look two years down the track and you'll be like, how the fuck am I still feeling this way? Because you're allowing this cycle to perpetuate, okay? So I would recommend that you look at this situation as he is not responsible for my healing. There's Whether he apologizes or not, it's irrelevant to me because I don't plan on having this person close to me in my life. This is my workplace. I'm entitled to enjoy it. I love my work. I love my colleagues. And I'm going to, you know, flourish as a person in my workplace. And he's going to witness that. And however he feels about that is his problem, okay? And if he wants to interact in a conversation, I'll politely respond because you've got to look at it as a place of what would it take for me to feel indifferent about this person. I have situations where I've got people in my life that have hurt me so, like at the time, so off, like just bad, bad people, bad people. But I've done all the healing and I've become so indifferent to them to the extent that now I can look back on times with those people, even though I would never want to interact with them again because I know that they're just not good people. But I can look back on times that I had fun with those people and genuinely laugh and think fondly of like, fuck, that we had a lot of fun that time. Well, that was funny. And that's how you know that you are now at a place of indifference where you can look back on the good times and actually acknowledge them for good times. It's not tainted. And then you can look back at the bad times and be like, yeah, fuck, that was really, I'm glad I learned that lesson and I'm glad it only lasted for that amount of time and not a day longer. And do I have to make this person my best friend in order to enjoy my time in the workplace? No, I don't. But the best thing you can do is not aim to punish this person. Absolutely minimize the pain you went through. 100% you want to be minimizing the pain. I don't want you to, you say, how do I mend this into something healthier that doesn't affect my life and my relationships without minimizing the pain you put me through? Minimize the pain because I can tell you right now, if your goal is to get him to see how much he put you through, you will suffer. He probably, and this is the, this is the fucked thing. This is the reality of life. He probably doesn't care. No, obviously doesn't care. Nowhere near as much as you do. So even if you were able to be like, this is what you've done, this is what you put me through, this is the pain and you deserve to suffer, he might look at that and be like, that's not that big a deal. Like he just, people don't think the way you do. If you expect people to experience life through your lens, you will suffer. This is a time for you to be like, this can't hurt me, but it is what it is. If he's a moron, if he's an idiot, am I going to suffer until he figures out what he did? No. You need to fucking minimize the pain, step away from it, treat this man with a basic level of respect. If he's in a conversation, absolutely have him in the conversation. Who cares? You are now indifferent, okay? Your focus needs to shift. And your focus needs to shift on I'm, I've got bit bigger and better things in my life. Much, much, much bigger and better things. One day we're all going to be dead. You don't want to be thinking, I dedicated hours of my life being spiteful towards this person because he was an idiot. He doesn't deserve, he doesn't deserve him and what he did doesn't deserve airtime in your mind. And you're giving him that right now. You are giving him airtime. It's not worth it. You're going to look back and be like wasted minutes of my life, wasted hours of my life. This is a fun fucking job. I'm going to fucking milk it for what it's worth. And the fact that he's there is a shame, but it doesn't, it's not going to stop me from enjoying my time in this workplace, okay? I want you to be more ruthless with this shit. Minimize the pain. He can get fucked, but he gets a basic level of respect so I can have an enjoyable time in the workplace and I can really um, nurture the actual friendships that I do have in the workplace, okay? Hopefully that has helped. Hopefully you can see it from that kind of perspective as well. Um, and that is all. 
Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I love you so much. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.